Welcome to Season 2 of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Danielle talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 30, Summit the Board Game. Today, we are joined by Connor McGoey, the creator of Inside Up Games, the design and publishing company behind Summit, Vault Assault, Gorius Maximus, Sea Change, Seven Souls, The Quick and the Undead, City Builder, Ancient World, and Block and Key. Thanks, Connor, for joining me for the 30th episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. Congratulations on 30 episodes. Thanks. Yeah, it's going well. So for anyone who doesn't know you, would you mind just kind of explaining how you got into the game design community? Sure. Um, oh boy. The fast version of the long story is that I grew up without a television because my mom hated TV. So we played a lot of board games as kids. I have three siblings, so we played a lot of cards and a lot of board games. Um, and then as I grew up, I missed those board games. So I started playing them with my, well, my now wife. Um, and I ran a construction company and I couldn't turn my brain off at night. So I would basically just come up with random board game ideas that I thought were fun. And for years, friends told me I should design something. So I designed Summit. <laughs> That's the fast version. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, you know, it's weird because my dad used to put a cap on our television watching. We only got an hour a day. And then I eventually was like, well, dad, movies are longer than an hour. Are you telling me I should like watch part of it today and part of it tomorrow? I used to get around it. But that's so funny. <laughs> we do the same thing with our kids. And one of the things that we try is we do like a minute for minute. So for every minute of music, lessons that they practice they get a minute of screen time so if they want to sit down and hammer out tunes for an hour they can get an hour of time and uh, unfortunately that's fallen a little bit uh, lax over the current pandemic (laughs) as we're all trapped in the same house together um but yeah it worked pretty well you're gonna just have a bunch of music prodigies or a rock band that's awesome yeah exactly well maybe if if they get their musical ability from me it might not go so well oh geez well hopefully it's not from you (laughs) (laughs) All right. So then Summit, that's what you're here for. And that is your first game for anyone who doesn't know about it. Would you mind explaining how to play? Yeah, for sure. So it's um, it's a game that can be played competitively, cooperatively, or solo. So when I came up with the design ideas for it, um, I was actually just basically laying awake in bed at night on December 24th, waiting for the previously mentioned munchkins to fall asleep. Um, and I was actually out of town at my wife's place uh, in Manitoba or sorry, my wife's parents' place. And uh, I just wanted to come up with some um, ideas, some mechanics and some themes uh, that could work. Because in my uh, group of board gamers here in town, I'm usually the guy who has the games, learns the rules, teaches everybody, picks the games, all that sort of stuff. And one of the things that people who have that role struggle with is, you know, picking the right games for the right people that are coming over the right times and all that. So I really wanted to create a game that could do kind of anything. So if you had people that want to play competitive, you can play competitive. If they want to play cooperative, you can play cooperative. And if nobody showed up, you could play it by yourself. Um, so I wanted to come up with a, a theme that kind of worked. I, I love theme in my board games. Um, for the right games. I'm also, I also love abstract games. Um, 
But for me, I wanted, you know, a theme that kind of carried uh, those mechanics hand in hand. Um, so I thought of some of the obvious options are um, survival, because as humans, we can, you know, survive alone. We can survive, you know, working together with others and we can survive while trying to, you know, compete with others or, you know, survive better than the others or however you want to put it. So survival was kind of the, the obvious choice for me. Um, but then it came down to like what kind of survival, because there are a billion post-apocalyptic games and zombie games and end of the world games and uh, they're, they're done really really well by companies you know with established backgrounds and budgets uh, and I obviously had none of that so I started thinking about kind of what I knew and it isn't until um, looking back on it uh, since then that I realized at the time when I, w- I was still working construction and one of my clients at that time is a mountaineer and he had uh, just finished summiting Everest. And so him and I would chat quite often about some, you know, some of his different climbing experiences. So that was clearly in the back of my mind at the time. Um, and it popped in, you know, a mountain climbing game. I hadn't seen a lot of them. Um, I hadn't played many of them. Um, and I thought that could work because there's a bunch of interesting mechanics that could be worked into a game built around that. So I just jotted, took my iPhone out, jotted down some ideas I had of different mechanics and, and themes and things that I would want in a game if I was to purchase a mountain climbing survival game. Uh, and I wrote them all down to my phone and uh, then kind of left it for the rest of that holiday season. And then getting back to town, I took out, you know, a, a pizza box out of the recycling bin and some Sharpie out and, you know, started creating uh, these original ideas ideas. And what I ended up creating was basically a, a two-sided playing board um, that uses triangular shaped tiles. Because again, I want to do something a little bit different and, you know, hexagons, octagons, squares, all these other tile shapes have been done quite often. So I wanted something a little bit different. So I, uh, but I also didn't know if it would work. So I, you know, did some very basic testing on if the idea worked, if it was interesting, um, and then what I could work into it. So then uh, fast forward, a little bit of time and uh, I basically created a game where you can yeah choose which side of the board you want to play depending if you want to play competitively or cooperatively and if you're playing competitively it's a race up and down the mountain while making points for pole position at you as you arrive at different waypoints so you start at the base camp and you make your way up through the halfway camp to the summit and then back down through the halfway camp to base camp if you can survive uh, you'll make points for that the game is made a lot more interesting because i added something that i thought would be more interesting which was a karma track so during the race you are actually able to play cards to actively help or hurt your friends uh, as you're playing the game so if i want to be helpful to you and play a card that's going to you know you know speed you up or give you more food or oxygen or supplies then i'm going to gain karma for being a nice guy uh, but i also might help you too much so that you beat me in the race so you need to be careful at the same time, maybe uh, someone's doing really, really well in front of you and you need to slow them down so you can play karma cards to hurt, to hurt them, to, you know, to give them some sort of bad thing. Maybe they lose oxygen or their food goes bad or you know, they roll their ankle while climbing or something like that. But then you're going to lose karma for, for being mean. So it's a balance of you know, when to be nice, when to be mean. And it creates this rubber band effect where players are actively you know, targeting the, those players in the lead, but then helping those players you know, who are falling behind. So it's also a very tight racing group. And then as people are coming back down the mountain, they have to run across the same people who they've, you know, picked on or helped going back up the mountain. Um, If you're playing the cooperative or the solo mode of the game, the board's flipped over. 
and instead of the karma track, um, there is a Sherpa track. And then instead of the pole position, there is a time of day. And then this version is built a little bit more around reality where you probably wouldn't be trying to kill the people on the mountain with you. And in this one, there is no halfway camp. So uh, the players have to either as a solo or work together to get from the base camp to the summit and back. And I created a whole nother deck of event cards that get shuffled into the events. And those will now target you and the Sherpas you have who carry your extra supplies on the mountain so there is a little bit of everything there is uh tile laying to build a new mountain every time you play with different types of tile that are you know harder to traverse or require oxygen uh there is some dice rolling for a little bit of luck to see what the mountain what kind of you know environment and weather hazards you might run into uh and then there's resource management to impress your luck in that every player has their own uh dual layered asymmetrical player board where everybody has their own character with their own stats and abilities and each of those characters and players is responsible for carrying their own food and oxygen but as those food and oxygen markers move up the board uh, there are little icons that help teach you and you uh, will obviously get heavier as you carry more supplies and the heavier you get the slower you move um, the good news being that as you use those supplies and you get lighter you actually move faster so there's um this you know self-regulating um mechanic visible to all players but it's something that you need to keep you know keep in mind as you're either working competitively or cooperatively and how did you decide to make like food oxygen weight health and speed the main components on the player board that you're trying to balance and uh well again it's just i, I come from a very logic based uh, background of you know whether it's problem solving or anything i'm kind of applying in my life my <laughs> child raising uh it's, it's kind of a more of a fact-based logic-based uh learning where it just it just makes sense to me I and mean, if, if i'm climbing a mountain what, what do i need i need equipment so I, where I need food, I need oxygen. Uh, and what happens when I have that? Well, I, I need to put it somewhere. I need to carry it somewhere. Well, once I carry it, I, I, I can't just carry it. I, I don't have unlimited bag of holding here. I, I can't put 47 you know, broadswords in a bag and carry it for s- seven hours. Uh, I actually need to have some sort of reason for why i'm being affected by things and as you know as you get heavier you're going to be moving slower and because it's a race that that speed is an important thing but then again if you don't bring enough food you don't bring enough uh, oxygen containers well then now all of a sudden you're going to have to be worrying about your actual health of your player and as you get uh, as you lose health, I should say, um, you're going to slow down. That's just how life is, right? As you kind of get burnt out. The good news being that as you get healthier, you will move faster again. So um, again, it just it came from a logical point of it just makes sense to me that these things should have affect it. Because uh, for me personally, as a player, the more logical a mechanic is and the better interweaved it is into the theme of a game the easier it is for players to learn um because it just it just makes sense to them you go like, oh, i need to eat food oh i don't have food to eat i guess that's gonna you know, cost me health so just all these little steps should help players kind of remind them as they're playing but also make that learning process a little easier oh, that definitely makes sense and i know you said you did the like triangle tiles which i thought was really cool but what was your thought process between the three different types of rope? Uh, I think it was like you had yellow, blue, right. and white, maybe? Brown, yeah. So brown, so brown, brown. brown well done. Brown ropes are, the, are neutral. So they have little green trees is kind of a visual reminder of green means go. So those uh, neutral in the game means nothing happens. And the joke I like to make with new players is that if nothing's happening, that's good because more bad things happen than good things on the mountain. Uh, so brown, uh, the ropes are basically there's um, for and it's, it's an audio show. So basically, if you can imagine a triangle, there are three possible center knot points. So if you imagine each side of a triangle, 
triangle and there's a knot in the center of each of those sides. So there's two short sides and one long side. Uh, and those knots can be connected in seven different possible rope layouts. So those rope layouts are repeated through the three different types of rope. The neutral rope means nothing's happening. The yellow rope means that uh, you need to use oxygen. There's little dead trees on there. So you need to use oxygen as you enter those tiles. And then lastly are the blue. And there are just more knots on the blue tiles, which effectively is slowing your player down. And we're calling those the icy tiles. So it just makes you move a little bit slower as there are more knots to traverse them. Again, that was just something I thought could be more interesting, more thematic, um, and to create that new mountain every time you're playing. So if every single you know triangle had the same rope pattern, then there's no point. You don't care about drawing tiles. If every Every um, tile was the same. Again, you wouldn't care about what you had, when you had it, or how you used it. But in this case, it really matters about your, your planning and your strategy of which tile do I use when. Some tiles, you know, have a nice straight line on them. It's easy to move the, the long length of the tile fastest. Seems great, except for the fact that if you only have one line going up a mountain, if anything happens to that one line, you're all in big trouble. So, you know, creating these Y lines are more important, backup lines, alternate routes for, you know, if something happens on the mountain. So luckily, all these stories that I, you know, I've grown up either we've watched movies, read books or talked to friends about of all these horrible things that can happen on mountain. Uh, I basically work them into the game, either mechanically, thematically or through event cards. From what you're saying, like, did that make you want to climb mountains more or less when you're making this game? <laughs> well, I've, I'm uh, I'm an outdoors person by nature. I live in a, a small town in northern Ontario uh, that gets quite cold in the winter, but it's quite beautiful year round. Um, and I wouldn't be here if I wasn't a nature person. So the cold doesn't bother me as much. Um, and the dangerous life choices didn't bother me as much until I had kids. And now I have some, some other people to think about instead of just myself. So it's unlikely that I would do an Everest or something like that. I mean, there's other environmental um, and social economical issues with that as well that I won't get into right now. Um, but those sort of dangerous uh, dangerous, <laughs> unnecessary dangerous days are, are kind of past me at this point in my life. Um, but I do, I've done like warm weather climbing and rope climbing and stuff like that, but uh, always with someone much more experienced in a much safer environment. I definitely get that. I rock climb and I would not go outside unless I was with someone who knows a lot more than me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, geez. And so since this is your first game, like what made you decide to make a game that has a solo mode, a co-op, and just a competitive, like how did you start to develop and play test? Did you just choose one of those and then develop the next part? Like what was the process? Um, well, originally I tried, I really wanted to create as uh, it all in one game. Um, so originally I was hoping to do it on one side of the board. Um, and as I designed it, it worked on one side of the board and that was fine. And basically the tracks were just replaceable. So depending on what game you had, these tracks would, would change, which and you, you just lay them over top of the board. Um, but it was really kind of about that I needed I needed a game that was different and I can make a little bit of a splash. The board game world is a very busy uh, place with a lot of publishers putting out a lot of content uh, yearly. And I just needed something to kind of, you know, get attention. So if I could kind of make that claim uh, and prove that it was doable to kind of have this all in one package in a board game, uh, that was kind of my goal. Um because if I was just going to make another game that was similar to everybody else's games, then why would anybody care to try mine? Um, so that was kind of the starting point. And then it, again, it developed very kind of naturally. I did uh, take time. I probably spent about a year, just over a year, maybe developing and refining the game. Um, 
but most of it kind of developed very, very naturally. And just like, again, that boring answer of, of a logical basis of, okay, like this just makes sense. This just makes sense. And very much from the, the point of, you know, if, if we were competing, what would be important? If we were cooperating, what would be important? Uh, and kind of what those different venues for options are. Uh, and then working into the, into the game. So, creating that really solid um, structure of like, what are the main things? So mountain climbing game. And I mean, obviously that works with both uh, characters and the stats that we've already gone over that very easily works in both the tile placement works in both. So all I, you really needed to rework at that point was kind of the goal of the game. Uh, and then once I had those hammered out with, you know, the race versus the strict survival uh, and then what, works within those two things so how you know how do you make that race more interesting how do you make that survival mode more interesting like and how do you really differentiate them so that different people can enjoy the game in different ways and one of the things that i like to say is uh, during the promotion of the game when we were getting attention for it which was very nice um when it came out man versus meeple loved the game because they said it was one of the meanest games you could play the competitive game was just so cutthroat and you could just be so you know actively competitive against each other that they loved it and they gave it their seal of approval and then when it came time to the dice tower uh they weren't they're not a big fan of take that games or they weren't at the time anyways and uh so they weren't as much a fan of the competitive side but they loved the cooperative side and they gave it their seal so the fact that i got two seals from two you know well-recognized um companies uh, on two different modes of the game really made me kind of feel like uh, i was able to get these two spaces to areas you know they needed to be and one of the funny things i hear often is i'll have fans and players who will for example have only ever played one type of the game because they just love it so much so one of the guys i love to tease often is uh, jamie stegmeyer who was very kind uh, i thanked him very well, hopefully very publicly uh a lot of his lessons and stuff is what kind of what helped me understand Kickstarter and board game. Um, and I studied a lot of his writing um, and his projects when preparing to launch Summit on Kickstarter. Uh, so I, I ended up sending him a, a copy of the game as a thank you for his work because uh, he puts all of his stuff online and he's very open and transparent and very um, generous with his time and his knowledge. So I sent him a copy of the game. And he ended up playing it and uh, in his copy of the game. And he's, he's recounted this story numerous times. Uh, he was one step out of base camp at the very start of the game, cooperative with his friends. And right after leaving uh, camp, he decided that he needed to eat his Sherpa. So due to the event card, he, his Sherpa immediately disappeared and he got a, oh, no. a, a bunch of extra food supplies that came from a questionable source. So he, he's loved it. He's been very supportive. But because of that, he, he routinely lists Summit as one of of his top co- uh, cooperative games of all time but he still has never played the competitive side just because he l- enjoys the cooperative so much and i keep teasing him telling him he has to try it but he uh, he teases me back and says he'll, he'll, he'll he loves the co-op side too much that's so funny i've only played the competitive side because i played it at gen con i think in like 2019 um, okay yeah, I did win, but Jesus Christ, is it rough? Like every time I rolled those dice for the weather and the events, I was like, are you kidding me? Like you said, like more bad things happen on the mountain than good. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. There's a couple things that I love when, when demoing the game for people at conventions. And one is when people get to the top and they say, well, I got to the top. That wasn't so bad. I'm like, yeah, you need to get back down. Getting up the mountain is only half the battle. Or when uh, someone makes a mistake early on in the game of saying, well, 
this isn't so bad. It seems pretty easy. <laughs> You're like, yeah, just wait, just wait. Although one of the issues that I've had with the game is what I designed it. I also, again, because I wanted to create this, you know, a game that could do almost anything within the confines of, of the mechanic and the theme. I created difficulty settings where you can basically choose if you want an easy game or a harder game. Uh, sorry, all the way from very easy to very hard. And that depends where you'd start that halfway camp, but it would also mean uh, that your, you know, your starting weather would be more severe as your difficulty went up. So when you're playing on a very easy setting, the weather starts off much calmer and builds much slower. Uh, and the mount is much shorter as the, the base camp has moved higher up the hill. But one of the issues I would have was, would be first time players who would, you know, either email me or, you know, reach out through BGG and just say, I had a problem with the game. It was, it was too easy. And I'll say, okay, well, what difficulty setting did you play it on? And they'll say, well, on very easy. And I'm like, oh, okay, so may, may I suggest you play it on medium or perhaps hard and to have a medium or a hard experience. But it was just funny to me that I did get a fair number of emails from people saying that they played the game on easy and it was too easy. And I'd have to write back and be, okay, well, you could change the difficulty setting if you'd like a harder game. Yeah, that is an interesting comment. <laughs> they clearly <laughs> didn't read the rules, but uh, you know what? Teach their own. <laughs> But and, it's funny, you, you get comments like that or questions like that all the time that just make you like hesitate or, you know, someone will ask a question about like, how does this work? And all of a sudden you'll panic and go like, oh my, did I not cover that in the rule? Like, is that not, and you like panically go through the rules You're like, oh no, it's a big section right here, clearly labeled. It just, but you get asked the strangest questions. It's, it's very odd. And how did you go about playtesting this game? So I started, luckily I had um, friends that I've been playing board games with for years here locally in town. Um, so I basically just started with them, um, just seeing if the game actually made sense, if the, if the base mechanics, you know, if the bones of the game were good, if the interest was there. Um, and I basically started very slowly kind of doing that and it worked. Uh, and then it got to a point where it was just, it was, you know, my Sharpie on cutout uh, cardboard. Uh, and it was just, I'm, it really didn't help with the theme. It just as players were playing it, it, it was it was much harder to kind of like imagine yourself there when you're moving with this, you know, this fiddly, crappy uh, components. So I reached out to a, a friend and um, a, biz, a very smart businessman uh, who's an artist and a graphic designer who I'd luckily worked with through my construction uh, career. Uh, and he had, you know, designed my website. He had designed the decals on my truck. He had painted my goalie mask for hockey. He had designed a tattoo for my wife. He's just one of these guys who's just unbelievably creative and talented. His name's Jordan Danielson, and he runs Lost Art up here in Thunder Bay as well and does a lot of stuff online. Um, and he's not only a nice guy, but just like, as I say, he's a creative force. And at the time, again, I didn't realize how lucky I was to have met um and worked with an illustrator and graphic designer, kind of that complete package. So uh, I basically roped him in and I said, you know, I explained to him what I was doing and you know, asked if he wanted to kind of join me on this journey. And we worked together and it was a long and slow and painful process. But the reason for that was that he was meticulous in creating uh, the assets needed for the game. So he created every single thing you could think of for the game. So when it came time to build uh, the actual rule book, the assets, the ads, the marketing, everything. There was this massive, you know, chest of of content to pick from. So anything you can imagine was there. And he would design with the illustrations in mind, and he would draw with the graphic design in mind. Uh, so it was really, really nice. So he basically came onto the project and then made it 
attractive and interesting to play. So that may, meant that the, uh, the you know all the, the testing and the and the prototypes uh, just looked better and had more engagement and more interesting for the players. The one downside to that is I spend way more time than I care to admit on creating new prototypes. Anytime some of the art was updated, I would always create a new one and create a new one and create a new one. And it wasn't until years later where I found literally these, you know, storage containers, uh, like these rubber bins full of Summit prototypes that I'd gone through. And I was like, oh my goodness, did I actually make that many different versions of the tile? Like how impatient was I? Why didn't I just, you know, wait for this one or wait for that one? Um, so I just, you know, have these things and then test them over and over and people really enjoyed it. And then, uh, one of the interesting experiences I had was that again, as mentioned, I'm from a small town. Uh, so I kind of have that feeling of, you know, uh, am I just, you know, small town? Am I, is this going to last anywhere else? So I went, I flew down to Toronto. I brought Jordan with me and the game uh, to kind of do some uh, play testing at one of the designer nights at Snakes and Lattes in Toronto. So I went to the event and I was just, just you know, stressed out about, you know, being the small fish in a big pond now. Um, but one of the interesting things I encountered there was that I had spent put a lot more work into the prototype design so that when I was actually at this design night, most people were at that stage of just, you know, the cardboard and the Sharpies. So my design would have been fine to bring as it was, but I was just so worried about how it would look in in the big city when, you know, is everyone going to laugh me out of of the building if I have this, you know, this crappy looking thing. Uh, But the nice thing was, is it impressed all of them. So I got a lot of interest um, from, and a lot of support from the design community in and around the Toronto area who came in and saw the game and played the game. And that actually led to um, one of the important realizations that I think all designers uh, should go through. And that is just taking feedback uh, with a grain of salt. And uh, what happened to me was I had spent a lot of time designing, building, playtesting, checking, refining, and tweaking uh, with our playtesters. But then I went with this opinion that, you know, I'm just a small guy from a small town. And so I got some feedback from players who had played the game for the first time. And I gave, you know, it too much credit. We're like, oh, you know, that I, I should do, I should do that. I should do that. So I made these changes to the, or I tried to make these changes to the game based on that, on one person's feedback or two people's feedback after one play. And I just realized that it, it was a cascading effect of, of not working. So it seemed like it was an interesting idea to, to make this thing work, but it actually, it would, you know, it would break this mechanic, it would make this mechanic less useful and make this one not make sense anymore. And it just created this issue. So, um, one of the things that's just oh so important is to create, you know, the playtesting um, sheets, which I had to, you know, to, to gather feedback from, but to also make sure that you have reoccurring feedback of issues um, that you're not putting too much weight into one person's opinion. Uh, and I'll say that to anyone who, you know, who submits designs to us now, because we, we I've published uh, three other designs by outside designers now for inside up games. Um, and I'll do three more this year. Um, but one of the things I tell them is when I'm being pitched these games or when I'm playtesting a game with them, uh, after the fact when it's done is I'll give them some of my feedback. And what I'll say to them is like, look, this is my opinion. I'm one person. I've played the game one time. So make sure you do what's best for you and what's best for your game because someone else might love the stuff I hated and hate the stuff I love. So just make sure that, you know, you're always true to you and your design. No, I think that's really important, especially when you haven't done a lot of playtesting with other designers too, in general, mm-hmm. I'm honestly super jealous because I have always wanted to go to snakes and lattes in Toronto because <laughs> you like out there, they have just such 
a great design community. And it's so yeah. weird to think that just like this perfect little group just randomly appeared in Canada and they all just like bonded. And I've had a few of them on the show and I'm, I get very jealous. I want to check it out someday. Yeah, they, they do. They've done a really good job. And the stores, the way they've done their, you know, their board game cafes is impressive. It's done really well. It is. And when did you decide to start Inside Up Games and go the self-publishing route? So that was interesting. So that would have been probably just under a year into the design and development of Summit. Um, I had created it. And for a little bit more backstory, um, I had unfortunately, uh, I got sick. So I, I ran a construction company for about 10 years. Um, but I got sick and that ended, that landed me in the hospital for a while. Um, and it was during that time where I was able to really kind of focus on the, you know, on summits development, um, just because I couldn't do my, my construction work. Um, so it was really nice that I, that I kind of had this little pause where I was able to do this, but the good and the bad side was, uh, I eventually was getting better and I was going back to work, but now I had, um, a construction company I was running a board game I was designing and three very small children at that point. Um, and my poor wife said, look, you need to make up your mind like what we're doing here because you can't spend, you know, 10 hours a day running a construction company and then four hours every night uh, doing uh, board game stuff. There's just no time left for you to kind of be around for the kids and, you know, help me out, which is very fair. So um, I kind of said, OK, well, I need to do something with design and I didn't know what to do. And uh, my brother-in-law was actually the one who asked me if I, you know, if I was going to kickstart it. And at that point, I had heard of Kickstarter maybe once or twice, never used it, never backed anything, never had any experience with it. So him and I looked into it and the project he showed me was Jamie Stegmeyer's scythe. So I looked into that and I was like, oh my God, I'm not, no, I, I can't compete with these guys. This is insane. Um, like, look what, look at what he does and look at the production quality and the art and the graphic design and, you know, the minis and all this sort of stuff. And, uh, Neil, my brother-in-law laughed. So he showed me some other stuff. He's like, yeah, this guy just, he knows what he's doing, but you know, here are some other people who are, you know, kind of in your same boat in your same, you know, startup stage. So I looked around to that and that's where I really jumped into that, um, information. So I, you know, I, I, I backed scythe. I kind of followed along. I learned a lot if I just that campaign, but it also led me down the rabbit hole of, of kind of Jamie's online um, teachings, as strange as that sounds, basically his vault of information that he shares completely for free. Um, and then his, his crowdfunding book, which I bought as well. Um, and I just kind of delved into all this stuff because it was an area I knew nothing about. And coming from that logical background, I just wanted to get as much information as I could about something I wanted to try to do so i figured that was probably a better bet for me than it would be to try to pitch my my game to to, to a company um so i yeah i just basically jumped into the to the uh, kickstarter realm backed tons of projects to follow along see how they did it see you know what i thought worked what i thought didn't work everything from uh board games to, to every type of project that kickstarter offers you know the music arts design products um i basically backed everything i could just to kind of see what the different things were that were happening um and how kickstarter worked and then um yeah and then i guess it would have probably been early in 2016 I guess, uh, is when I launched, um, on summit on Kickstarter and it was one of the, uh, most stressful, um, 
the most stressful times uh, I've had of just like kind of putting yourself out there, um, just being really kind of vulnerable of saying like, Hey, this is, a, this is something I have created, um, of my own that I know I've come up with and I've worked so hard on it. What do you think of it? Um, and it was, yeah, it was a really rewarding sometimes humbling experience. Um, but it was great. And that was, yeah, like I could say six years ago now, I guess. And I've done eight Kickstarters since then. And, uh, yeah, our ninth, yeah, our ninth, I think will be launching next month. That's so impressive. And what made you decide on the name of summit? No, of Inside Up Games. Oh, so Inside Up Games. Uh, so my wife is uh, French-Canadian uh, from Manitoba. And uh, one of the things that I like to tease her about is she'll mix up her uh, inside out, upside down, and backwards uh, when she's talking English. So she's, she flips all of them around. Um, it's one of the few things. You, you wouldn't know that she was uh, um, first language French because her English is, sounds just just like mine. Um, but every once in a while, a word will come out. You're like, wait a second. So that's one of the things she'd mix up. So for me, I thought it was fun because inside up isn't something that's normally said, but it's also kind of how board games work and that it's the inside the box that you're taking out. It's inside up, you're taking it out of the box, you're setting it up on the table. So just kind of combine all these little things and it uh, seemed unique enough at the time. That's a super cute way to name a, a publishing <laughs> company. That's adorable. And then when did you start creating the expansions for the game? Was that something like as you were developing, you kind of cut some stuff out and then you're like, yeah, wait, so actually, let's add it. So the first one was actually funny. So the first expansion was Yeti. And that is completely thanks to my local friendly local game store owner, Jackie. So she, her and Dave have been very, very supportive. They run uh, the game shelf here in Thunder Bay. And uh, they're, they're absolute sweethearts. So during the, the time of setup, I, I had been buying board games from uh, Jackie and from them for years. And she was kind of my, you know, my drug dealer of choice in that I would go in there and she would know what games I kind of liked. And she's probably you know, sold me hundreds of games over the years. And I can think of one that was like less than awesome, but the rest of them were like bang on the mark for like what I would like and how I like to play and all this sort of stuff. So she was great. They, they continue to be amazing. And uh, so when I was going through the design process, she was very interested. I kind of helping out any way she could. And she would offer to have, you know, uh, play test sessions at the store and set things up and release, you know, the, the Kickstarter release was there, a whole bunch of things. And during the, uh, the play testing of the game, we were playing and everything was going wrong for her. I, I think we were playing cooperative, uh, cooperatively and everything like every, she, every role of hers was bad. Every event card she drew was bad. Every, anything that could happen on the mountain, some, uh, it always happened to her and she was just laughing and she's like, it can't get any worse. And she, she picked up one of the event cards and she said, what's next? Is a Yeti going to attack me? And I was like, Ooh, oh, not geez. yet. So then I created the Yeti expansion where there's an actual, uh, another, a meeple, a Yeti that will hunt you on the mountain. So in the cooperative mode, he hunts you and your friends going after uh, the healthiest player until they're weakened. And then he goes after the next healthiest player. And in the competitive version, you can actually use the karma cards to and the uh, weather dice to actually you know, move him around the board against your competitors. And then uh, because I created that, I'm like, well, at the same time, I may as well create more event cards karma cards and item cards that kind of go along with that the yeti theme the yeti mechanics and then some new player boards as well so that's how the first one came along and then the second one i'm trying to think how i had the idea for the second one i don't really remember um 
But one of the things that happens in Summit, as experienced players will tell you, is that the mountain is usually trying to kill you. And often your plans can go amiss. And, you know, whether your route is blocked, whether there's a collapse, a crevice, an avalanche, whatever it is, you know, you can just get stuck in bad places and your character could die on the mountain. So uh, the game is harder has more bad things than good things. So one of the things I wanted to do was to create something to make it a little bit easier for players sometimes to kind of get out of these, I have no way out situations. Um, uh, so I created climbing ladders, which are actually square tiles, which get placed over top of the triangular tiles. So you can actually create new routes over top of old routes or over top of bla- uh, blocked areas. But then these climbing ladders also have weight to them as well, just like other items do. So it means you kind of got to worry about how much stuff you're carrying. Um, and the reason I wanted to make it a little bit easier was that I created the team variant where you could basically work in teams and then still play the game competitively or cooperatively. So if it's a team competitive game, it's, you know, team A and B or team A, B and C, you know, racing for these things where you're going to combine the values, but you're actually, you know, helping each other. So you're clearly going to be using those good karma cards on your teammates and those bad karma cards on your opponents. Uh, and if it's cooperative game, then you're, you know, it's a cooperative survival game of, you know, getting up and down the mountain. Uh, and the team game ended up just by the nature of helping your teammate and hurting someone else. It actually got to be, uh, it could be pretty mean against each other. So I had to create a whole bunch of karma cards and event cards that were nice to, to offset the natural competitiveness that players had because there was just so much more, um, not uh, well, strategizing, but more like evil of whispers. <laughs> yeah, of just like, okay, make sure you give them food. And when they accept it, I'm going to poison it. And like all this kind of like evil, Jeez. like giggling around the table uh, of people playing. Uh, and one of the stories I like to tell is uh, I have a buddy who um, actually I met through Summit. Uh, his name's Greg Sachin. He's in he's in Winnipeg. And he's, he's, he's my booth babe at pretty much every convention we go to. And he's been an amazing friend and supporter for years. But I was all, I was really nervous about showing him teams because he doesn't sugarcoat things. He tells me uh, what he thinks uh, all the time uh, and whether I want to hear it or not most of the time, uh, but which is very good for a small business. You need someone like that. And so when I, t- I taught him the teams game, um, we were playing and I had one of my children on my team and one of my children was on Greg's team and we were playing together and, you know, me and my one, uh, my eldest daughter were whispering back and forth to each other and he was whispering with my son and going back and forth as we're plotting our ways up, way up this mountain. And I looked over at him and he actually, his eyes had teared up and I was like, uh, Greg, what's going on? And he just looked at me and said, I love it. <laughs> I was like, oh, good. oh, good. Whew, I was worried. But yeah, so that that was basically, uh, yeah, that was a high point for the team's design. And then how long in total do you think it took to go from inspiration to publication of the initial game? Like it's officially in the hands of backers. They're playing it and they're telling you how they like the game. Well, so we'll see if my old memory is any good. So if memory serves, it would have been Christmas Eve 2014 that I had the original idea. I would have spent 2015 designing it, developing it and tweaking it. Early 2016 is when the Kickstarter was. And then if I remember right, it was early 2017 when it hit backers hands. So it would have been like two and a half years um, from idea to release. Um, yeah, probably about two and a half years. Um, but again, that's, that's, 
because it was my first game and because I was running another company full time and I had three small kids. I can do it a lot faster now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's still a pretty decent timeline as far as like anyone who maybe pitched a game to some publisher. It's, so it's, it's like, true. it's still in the realm of good time. Yeah. I've talked to some people who have, you know, been designing and developing a certain game and they've been doing it for, you know, five plus years for a single game and it's still in the pitch phase. And I'm like, Oh wow, like good for you. Yep. Very true. And then now that it's published, how do you think the game's doing? I know I've still seen it at conventions. Yeah. It's still one of our best sellers. If, if not our best seller, it just, it's constantly moving. It's, uh, it moves, um, in the hobby world and, you know, from the local game stores It moves online, uh, and it sells really well for us at conventions, uh, just because I guess it was our flagship for so long. And so people have heard of it. We're not, we're not one of these massive companies that everybody knows, but they've they've heard of some of our titles, which helps us. So maybe, you know, Goris Maximus, they, they had heard of at a convention they had played or whatever it would have been. So they, they kind of recognize it and I'll bring them over and then they'll see, oh, somebody, I've heard of that game. So they'll sit down and play it. And that's one of one of the struggling points that Instead of Games have is we're kind of in that small to medium size where it's such a busy um, business that... You know, getting that 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 market share of people's interest has always been tricky. But once we can get them to you know sit down and play a game, any one of our games, then they usually become become fans, which and and followers and supporters, which is great. Um, so just yeah, that luckily that knowledge of oh I've heard of that game, I, I know someone who has that game, I've I've seen that game, that that kind of really helps us. Um, and it actually I was surprised by it when I did the team's Kickstarter because that would have been maybe twenty nineteen possibly 2018 or 2019. Um, so it was a couple of years after summit came out. So I was just expecting, you know, to sell, you know, copies to people who had backed the original Kickstarter and hopefully a couple of people who would have picked it up in retail since then. But what I wasn't expecting at that time was a massive surge of people who had seen it originally on Kickstarter years ago and not backed it and, and missed it. So they came in at that point and backed it bought summit bought yeti and bought teams all at the same time through that through the team's kickstarter so we actually had more new to the to our company game than we had people coming from from back it was just a it was a massive flood of people who had heard of the game and uh, and wanted to get it that's so cool i know i didn't get a chance to play either expansion but the yeti one sounds both terrifying and fun yeah, the Eddie the one's great. It 100% makes the game harder and it's already a hard game. So I tell people like, this is really like, this This doesn't make anything easier. It just makes everything about the game more difficult. Um, oh, but if you like that and if you like variability in the game, it does add, as I say, more of every type of card, more karma cards, more item cards, more event cards, and more player boards. Um, <laughs> and then the, the teams one is is fun especially for either new players we can kind of take you know one experienced player takes a new player under their wing and they play together or for those experienced players who kind of know the ins and outs of the game to really kind of maximize those strategic points that's so fun and then as far as the whole design journey do you have like a favorite and least favorite experience oh good question um it was, I mean, going through that, that, that first Kickstarter experience of um, you kind of expect, and it could be a bad idea sometimes, but you kind of expect, you know, that family, family and friends support, but the board gamer support was kind of a, a nice thing for me because family and friends would support you usually, no matter what, at least that for that first Kickstarter. Um, but to have people you don't know come out and support you, people who just like, see the video or read the rule book and be like, yeah, this game, like 
cool, this game interests me. I, I want to help you out. And then um, every time uh, since then where I've either demoed the game or taught the game or had people from past conventions come up and just tell me their stories. Uh, because one of the things that happens with Summit is a story is created every time you play because of what happens, the choices you make, and these event cards and karma cards that get played is that I get told these amazing stories of people who like are laughing about it or just like, it was, you know, it was so infuriating. I couldn't do this properly and blah, blah, blah. So we played it again right away. And like all these, just these amazing stories that people come at is, is probably my high point and it's been yeah over five years now of people telling me you know the stories of what's happened to them in their game and it's just so neat that to think about people having these like shared experiences uh, all around the world with something you know that created uh you know in my brain originally um for a negative during the design process there hasn't been a ton of negatives to my experience. I have some weird ability that my wife likes to tease me about where I can remember good things and I forget the bad things. I don't let them stick with me. I mean, that's fine. Hey, if you don't remember anything negative, that's something that I wish everybody could put away into the well, closet and only yeah, remember okay, the positive. I, okay, so I got one. So I guess one of the negative things um, that happened to me was, again, that... A feeling of I'm new, I'm not good enough, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so when I worked with my man, the manufacturer for the first version of the game, I was probably much more timid than I should have been. And for anyone who knows me, they would not believe that I could ever be timid. Um, but I just, I didn't know enough about that side of the publishing business. Um, I didn't kind of know what I think needed to be done. Sorry, I know what I think needed to be done, but I didn't know how to express it and how to kind of demand that from a uh, manufacturing partner. So there were a lot of issues with timelines, with communication, with um, the uh, like yeah, the actual manufacturing of the game where in my head, for example, I imagine that if I submitted something, the company would say, you know, oh, cool. But if you did this to it, that would be better for this reason. Um, for example, if you can see uh, in Summit, and it's true to this day, the punch board sheet is slightly smaller than the box height. Now, that seems super minor and doesn't really matter. But the cost difference to make it the full size would be minor at the end of the day. And because I use it to raise the inserts slightly so that everything is held perfectly um, closed in when the box stored vertically, um, it's really important to me that everything kind of, that everything about the game is for gamers, is that the, the design, the inserts, the, the storage solution, everything is done really, really well. But it was all done purely from my experience as a board gamer, not from manufacturing. So there are things that I did that definitely were not cost effective. Uh, there were things that I did that, you know, slowed the, slowed the production down for reasons that were ne not needed. Um, and there was just, you know, me being either too polite or 
or too patient and you know not being pushy enough not being that squeaky wheel to get the grease where there was there was you know a number of issues that came up with the with the manufacturer um where it was just it was you know very poor communications and big issues and you know resulted in a couple uh you know emails of like we need to have a discussion immediately because this, this is not working um so that would i would say that that was definitely been a low point but again the reason why i didn't think of it immediately as a low point is that i i learned a lot from it you know that people say you learn so much from your failures and it, it really helped me to understand you know what i needed to do as a publishing company what i needed to you know expect and ask for and push on to kind of make sure that I'm getting the best product for my customers. That definitely makes sense. Manufacturing is confusing. It's hard to know what to ask if you don't know the right words, <laughs> but and I'm glad that it worked is, is out. That, yeah. Is that realistically like they don't need to care about your game. They're just making it. So if you tell them you want a six sided die with the number one on six sides of that die, that's what they will make you right. They don't, they don't need to say, well, well, why, why do you need a six-sided die if it's all the same number? Nothing's changing. Like they, they don't need to ask you questions about stuff. There are some manufacturers that are quite good. There are some you know, people you work with that will ask you and kind of help you and stuff like that. But not all of them. They're just there to make what you ask them to make. Um, so I get that. But it, it was it's yeah, it was not obvious to me when as, as a first-time publisher. Hey, but I mean, everyone learns. So exactly. that's good. <laughs> and then if you were to teach or like give one piece of advice to a designer, what would it be then? So as a designer, not as a publisher, my the advice I usually give designers is make it. Is just make the darn prototype as simply as you can. Stop. Don't spend a year writing a rule book for a game you haven't tested. Don't spend a year on artwork and graphic design. Like get the bare bones skeleton of your game on the table and see if it works and see if it's fun. Because all that other time you spent uh, writing that rule book before the game actually works or all that time you've, and money you've spent on art or graphic design could be wasted. Just get it out, see if the game works. That's when you're going to find your biggest flaws. So true. I know I used to make really beautiful looking prototypes, which yes, brings <laughs> playtesters over, but it's such a pain in the butt to update things. Yes, 100%. And that's actually one of the small areas that the digital board games, you know, the Tabletopia and the TTS, mm -hmm. those areas kind of help is that it, those changes to games can be done a lot easier because you're just uploading a new design. You're not printing it, cutting it, sleeving it, <laughs> stickering oh, yeah. it, labeling it, writing on it, which I did way too much of. 100%. I will say that's like one of the only good things that came from more play testing because <laughs> of COVID. A lot yeah. quicker to update yeah. prototypes. Yeah, and I'm not a big fan of digital board games, but they definitely have helped during this pandemic. 100% agree. And then as far as games that you might have coming in the future, do you have any projects that you want to talk about? Yeah, my goodness. I have, a, I have yeah, three that I'm very excited about. So these were pitched and des uh, developed during the, uh, the pandemic. Um, the first one will be hitting Kickstarter next month. It's called Earth. It is an engine builder, uh, tableau builder, card drafting, resource management game built around Earth uh, being the planet and the natural sy synergies in the world. Um, it's by Maxim Tardif, who's out of um, Quebec, out of Montreal. And he's done an amazing 
amazing job um, designing this game and put a ton of time and work into the balancing of the cards. Um, and it makes, uh, you know, the engine building and the excitement and enjoyment of that process, but also much faster than a lot of the engine, you know, the engine builders that we're probably all thinking about right now. Um, and then I just spent a lot of time making it as beautiful like as I could. So because it is built around earth, is I wanted to bring in as much beautiful artwork um, and uh, as I could to make the game look as good as I could. And for this time, for the first time of any of our games, actually we're using all real world photography. So not Photoshopped, not um, drawn, nothing. It's just all actual photos of these real life plants, uh, the flora and fauna of our world. Um, and it's just, it's beautiful beautiful to look at and great to play uh, really rewarding um, fast plays one to five players um, really really enjoyable so uh, that's going to be hitting kickstarter in february then after that i have a, a draft and write game um, from a portuguese designer um, bruno maciel who um, pitched the game um, to us and i absolutely loved it it's probably the most played game the fastest in our um in our collection ever i uh because it was during the pandemic my regular testers couldn't get together and meet in person so i printed off uh the prototypes and played it with my family and my uh, wife and kids and i absolutely loved it we probably played it 15 to 20 times in that first weekend alone um you're basically drafting cards to create uh your own you know world touring band so you have your your front uh, your um your star, your front singer, you have your musicians, you have your backstage crew and you have your production crew. You need to, you know, travel the world, go to these different venues. You need to plan the different bookings you have, the assets you need to manage. Uh, and it's just, it's great because it's just so rewarding. It's as simple as, you know, everyone has five cards, draft one, pass, draft one, pass, draft one, pass. And as you're doing it, you're unlocking these things. Oh, I got, you know, a new thing here. I got a new thing here. So you're checking off this one thing, making this little small change here, creating these synergies. And as you're putting the band together, not only are you worried about the victory point value or the star power of these um, different people, but you're also worried about how they interact together and how, you know, do their tempos, do their pitch, um, do the melodies, um, do, do they synchronize with the, you know, the people playing beside them and then those unlock more possibilities. So again, it's just it's very simple, quick, but it's rewarding experience of like, oh, I did this. Oh, oh, oh. And it builds us to this, you know, cascading effect of unlocking things and makes it a really enjoyable, fun experience as you create these um, sometimes cool, sometimes wacky musical bands that will then travel the world. Uh, that'll be a, a couple of, that'll probably be the you know, middle of this year on Kickstarter. And then after that is Terminus. And that's by um, Earl Asperis. I'm going to mess up both of their names and uh, Tom Philip, uh, who are both out of Toronto. And Terminus is a root building game, but based on kind of the planning and development more than the actual laying of the roots. So, um, it's a rondelle and in the rondelle it's with your action selection and it's definitely the crunchiest heaviest thinkiest game that inside of games has ever published uh, and it's really really enjoyable because it's all about that the, the planning and the development and the forethought that kind of goes into the building of these subway lines and then the building of the lines the intersection of the points the sharing of the routes the developments of the areas um it's yeah it's been a lot of fun to um to de develop the game with them um to the point it is now it's going to be i think it's going to do really well as well 
I love how different all three of those games are. I'm excited to see them all in Kickstarter. Yeah, thank you. Well, that's one of the things, because we're so small, one of my um, ideas for the company is basically that I, I want someone to be able to walk by our booth at a convention or in a store and see, you know, inside of game titles. And maybe one of our titles, maybe Gorus Maximus is, you know, too violent of a cover or you don't like card games or maybe Summit, you know, you're not into the survival aspect, whatever it is. But I want to make sure either our art style or our um, theme or mechanics that something will appeal to you to kind of, like, as I say, get you to at least come over and check out our booth, check out our offerings. So we're trying to always, you know, find something different than what we've done before as opposed to just, you know, doing the same thing again and again. And uh, all three games definitely scratch itches we haven't done before. That's so cool. Yeah, I know that when I walked by your guys' booth, it was pretty big at PAX Unplugged. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I've seen this and this and this. Like, I've played, I think, three of your titles at this point, And Thank I'm excited you. to play some more in the future. Yeah, and it was good. And it was hard because we had three titles release during the darn pandemic. So all of their you know planned convention releases never happened. So they just kind of released into the darkness. Um, so it was it was PAX was busy because we were trying to show so many games. Well, it seemed like you guys were always busy when I walked by. So that's hopefully what was the reality. Yeah, it was. It was great. PAX was, yeah, very busy for us, which was wonderful. Well, awesome. Um, and then is there anything else you want to talk about about your company or otherwise we can wrap up this episode? Yeah, no. Basically, if anyone uh, is interested in any of the games we've talked about, you'll be able to, you know, learn about them uh, through social media. We're everything at Inside Up Games. So that's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're, I think we're going to create a TikTok account. Not sure we're going to actually be able to use it properly. Um, but yeah, basically on all social media or you can follow us on our website or if you follow or look for Connor McGoy on Kickstarter, you can follow us there and be uh, notified of when these games launch. Well, awesome. So then uh, thank you for joining us for this episode of Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 30, Summit the Board Game. Thanks again, Connor. And as like a parting question, I want to know, if you could switch your name out, so like you changed history and now you designed a board game that wasn't necessarily your design, what one would you choose? What game would I choose to design that wasn't mine? Oh, goodness. Um, oh, I'm going to put too much thought into this and I should have just went with something quick. A game that I could have designed. Huh. How about... Any game? Any game you want. It could be chess. Any game you want. Oh, yeah, that'd be a good one. Yeah, I'm going to take chess. I'm going to just steal that answer. Chess is such a great game. That's fair. No, I mean, everyone knows it, so everyone would know you, and I'm not going to lie. I have no idea who created chess. (laughs) Although I'm too logical, the issue with that means that chess wouldn't have existed until either I existed or I would have existed when chess was first created. And both of those options sound pretty bad. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> well, uh, I guess that's what past Connor's do? problem. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. Well, hey, thanks for coming on the show. I had a great time talking about Summit and all your other games. Thanks, Daniel. It was a pleasure speaking with you. This has been another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out nodirectionpodcast.com. Join us next time.